Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We would love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit our website at www.lifechurchofrichmond.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Hallelujah in this house today. We give you glory and honor and praise. You are our God and we seek after you today. Blessed be your name. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. I love that that song points to the fact that no matter what the circumstances of this life look like, no matter what you're in the middle of, you can go ahead and give God praise anyway. And I promise nothing changes the atmosphere, nothing changes the temperature of your situation like giving God glory. Can you say amen? So whatever you're going through today, take a moment and give God praise right in the middle of it, and I promise it'll change your situation. One more time, we've done it several times today, but I'd like to welcome you to Life Church. It's an honor to be sharing God's Word with you today. I'm so thankful that Pastor allowed me the last three weeks to, to share with you all something that's very near and dear to my heart, uh, particularly uh, the things we've been talking about in regards to our mind and how we think. Uh, today I'll be finishing up a series called Mastermind, uh, Change Your Thinking and Change Your Life. And we've been looking at the mind, particularly as it applies to the teachings of the Apostle Paul and what have we learned? What do we know about the mind? We know that our thoughts are incredibly powerful. They're often a war that is going on, and the war is generally won or lost, not with our fist, but with our minds. Some things we've learned through this series. First thing we learned is your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thought. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thought. Another thing we learned, it's almost impossible to live a positive life when you're consumed with negative thoughts. You can't have a positive life when you have a negative mind. Third thing we learned is the life that you have is a reflection of the thoughts that you think. The life that you have is a reflection or it resembles the thoughts that you think. We learned last week, if you don't change the way you think, you can't change the way you live. You can't change what you do. You can't change who you are. Our thoughts matter. In fact, I would say it this way. If you don't control what you think, you'll never control what you do. If you can't control what you think, you'll never control what you do. Our key verses from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, 4, and 5. I want to revisit those to set the tone for what we're going to talk about today. And this is what the Apostle Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, are we going to get it up there? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The Bible says we have power from heaven to crush, to vanquish, to demolish the wrong patterns of thinking that hold us hostage. So what do we do? Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. How do we do that? Paul says that we do it this way. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient 
to Christ. We take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. Any thought that is inconsistent with the truth of God's word, we grab it and we make it our prisoner. We talked about the first week, that word captive literally means to be held at sword point. We have this great offensive weapon, the Bible, known as the sword of the Spirit. And we take every thought captive at the sword point, at the Word of God. We put the Word of God into practice and we compare what we're thinking to what God's Word says and we can then judge whether it's true or whether it's not. If you've been with us in previous weeks, we've talked about the power of the brain that our God created. For centuries, people thought the brain was essentially fixed after adolescence. We now know that's not true. The brain actually continues to evolve, and there's something called neural pathways in our brain. What's a neural pathway? Essentially, the more we think a thought, the more we create a pathway in the brain. The more you think it, the longer it remains, and the longer that pathway continues to develop. The more you think a thought, the easier it is to think that thought. And that's good news if we're thinking on things that are true and good and pure and lovely and excellent and admirable and praiseworthy, as the Apostle Paul would say. The problem is many of us are thinking on things that are not true. The easier it is to think on things that are not true, the more it builds into more negative thoughts, and we think those things even more readily. Why? Because many times the lies that we tell ourselves are easier to believe than the truth. Would you agree with that? I know for me, one person can tell me I had a bad day or I did something awful, and I will believe that over 500 people that tell me I did something good. Why? Because we naturally believe the lie more readily than we believe the truth. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. In this final message of this series, I'm calling it Reframing Our Thoughts. And I want to introduce another concept today that has become very helpful to me, and that's the idea of a cognitive bias. Now, what's a cognitive bias? A cognitive bias could be more easily described as a mental filter or a mental framework. A very simple definition is this. It can be a mistake in our reasoning based on personal preferences or beliefs. When we have a cognitive bias, in other words, we, we got a mental filter or a mental framework that is not necessarily accurate. Our wrong thought processes or our wrong belief causes us to make mistakes or errors in judgment. It's a little bit like some of those filters that have been applied to the pictures or videos we see on social media. For instance, on Snapchat, you can transform your facial structure to look all sorts of ways. If you're connected to Mika Dorsey on, face, on Snapchat, she created an entire fictional character named Flaget with a different voice, sounds very husky, and she begins to say things in that picture, that frame that is not her, but it's a completely different character based on a different framework. There's a certain female comedian that posts on Facebook quite regularly, and her tagline is, mm I ain't doing it. Many of you know her, and she presents herself with a distortion on her face and her voice that makes her look like someone totally different than she actually is. And I've often wondered, is she nearly as funny live without the framework that's been pushed on her face? Is she just as funny, or would we think of her differently when we see her, the real her, behind the filter? 
Some people daily use filters on every selfie they take to present an image that is far different than reality. Celebrities are often accused of using Photoshop to enhance or minimize or whatever to look better in the eyes of the public, endeavoring to create an image that is different than their reality. But my point is this, these filters cause us to think differently about what we are seeing. It colors or distorts our view of what we are looking at. And as a result, we form thoughts or opinions that are based on lies and not truth. What you see is not actually what is there. So what happens? If we have a wrong framework or a wrong mental filter, the wrong filter distorts or discolors how we see the world, and therefore we end up with a cognitive bias making our decisions based on wrong assumptions. Because of personal beliefs that may not be true, we are biased in certain directions, and that can cause all sorts of troubles in our life. That's why different people respond in different ways to the exact same situation. Have you ever noticed that you can be in the same situation, two people, exactly same situation, and have completely opposite responses? It's not the facts that are different, it's the filter. Let me say it again. It's not the facts that are different, it's the filter. For example, example, you might see this in a workplace. You might have a boss or supervisor that sits down with two different people to give feedback in the exact same way, and two different people respond totally different to the feedback. The first person gets all offended. Well, who does he think he is? Come in here, tell me this and that. He doesn't know how to do my job. You want some feedback? I'll give you some feedback about the way you live. Totally offended by the feedback they received, right? Second person, same exact situation, same type of feedback. And that person says, thank you so much. You really helped me today. You've allowed me to see my job in a new light, and I'm going to make changes, and I'm going to improve based on the feedback you received. Again, same exact facts, two different responses. It's not the facts that are different, it's the filter. Think about this today. There may be two people sitting side by side in this room that walked into LC today. One person walked in saying, Christians are hypocrites. They're just a bunch of losers. Why do I have to gather with all these people? They're asking me to stand up. I don't even like this song. And I'm sure they're going to take an offering, and then that preacher's going to get up there and talk about the mind again. Why did I even come today? Ooh, the people that are laughing, that's, they're sitting next to that person. The chances of that person having a good experience today are really, really minimal. But the second person who walks in saying, you know, Christians aren't perfect, but I love them anyway, and God works in amazing ways when we gather together and we experience his presence. The band is going to be great today. The worship team is going to do awesome today. The preaching is going to speak to me today. I'm leaving different. I'm never going to be the same. The chances of that person having a bad experience is pretty slim. He's going to walk out of here feeling great about God and what God's trying to accomplish. Why? Because he had a right motive, the right example, even though the facts were exactly the same, exactly the same, the filter was different. That person's much more likely to be uh, productive and going to walk out of here different, and they're going to go home, and it's going to affect their life. It's not the facts. It's the filter. This can even impact our relationship to God. In fact, studies show that your relationship to an earthly father can often shape or color how you perceive our heavenly father. In other words, those who are blessed with a good dad who was full of compassion and was involved in your life. And that person might more easily see God as a God who is full of compassion and that cares about the details of your life. But 
If someone else had an earthly father who was distant or abusive or cold or demanding or judgmental or legalistic, if you've had an earthly father that was demanding and harsh or distant and abusive, it's much more likely to see your heavenly father as some of those things as opposed to the heavenly father that we all know who is loving and caring and involved in our life. Again, it's not the facts that are different. It's the filter. Last week we talked about one of the disciplines that I've been doing in order to change my thinking because as much as I don't want to disappoint you today, even though I'm one of your pastors here, I battle with negative thoughts and I battle with believing things that are not true about me and about life. And so last week we talked about meditating on truth. And this week I want to talk to you about another tool. I want to talk to you about something called reframing. Everybody say reframing. Say it again, reframing. We're going to pick a different frame. What is reframing? Reframing is simply creating a different way of looking at a situation, person, or relationship by changing its meaning. It's a little bit like the kid who loved to play baseball, and the kid had this motto. He said, I am the greatest hitter who has ever lived. And he went out in the yard, and he threw the ball in the air, and he and he missed the ball. And he said, everybody misses sometimes. I am still the greatest hitter that ever lives. He threw the ball in the air, and he swung, and he missed. And he was like, well, you know, that doesn't matter. You can fall down. You can fall down as long as you get back up. I'm still the greatest hitter that ever lived. He tosses it a third time in the air. He swings with all his might, and he misses. And then he says, wow, not only am I the greatest hitter that has ever lived, I am also the greatest pitcher that has ever lived because I just struck myself out. (laughs) Reframing is simply changing the way we look at something by changing its meaning. It's also called perceptual accentuation. It's called cognitive restructuring. Or if you're simple like me, it's just called thinking different. I like that, don't you? Thinking different. It's reframing the situation. Let me illustrate it this way. I don't know if everybody can see this or not, but there's a picture here. In this picture, I kind of think of this picture as like, really, if you look at it from afar, it's kind of like a picture of life. There's some stormy parts. There's some clear skies parts. There's some times of want and lack. There's some times when everything is full and refreshed and everything looks great. It's just got a little bit of everything. When you wake up today, we are all destined to have some type of day. Wouldn't you agree? Is it going to be a good day? It's going to be a bad day. Oop, nope, wrong way. Bad day? Good day. You're going to be broke today? You're going to be well-nourished today? You're going to walk with God today? Or are you going to allow your spirit to be dampened by the clouds that are in the sky today? What kind of day are you planning to have? Well, it just depends on how you frame it. Some of you have a negative framework, a negative filter. The day's going to be bad. I hate being around these people. I'm so tired of life. Everything is rough. I'm just tired of struggling. I'm tired of everything being bad. Some of us have a positive framework. God is good. God is great. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in my life today. I'm going to drive down the road and the birds are going to sing me to work. It's going to be an amazing day. All how you frame it. God is with me. God is good. I can sense his presence. I love being here. Some of these people are kind of weird. 
but I love to see the good in them. I'm going to choose to believe the best wherever I go. What kind of day are you going to have? It depends on how you frame it. What we need to understand is this, if you're taking notes, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Let me say it again. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. If there was anybody who was great at reframing, it was the Apostle Paul. In fact, if you know his story, he had a very strategic prayer plan. God, please help me get to Rome. That was Paul's constant prayer. Get me to Rome. Get me to Rome. Get me to Rome. If I can get to Rome, I can preach the gospel. I can reach the leaders in Rome. From there, we can spread the gospel all over the world. And so finally, Paul gets to go to Rome. And he didn't get to go there to preach the gospel. Instead, he went to Rome as a prisoner locked up on house arrest chained to Roman guards. They say a new one every eight hours, and he was awaiting a possible execution. What he wanted was not what happened. But how does Paul frame the situation? Some of you, this is where you are right now. You thought to yourself, if I can get the degree, then I'll get the job. You got the degree, and the job you have, you're overqualified for in an entirely different field than the one you studied, and you're like, God, where are you? You thought, I'm going to marry my sweetheart. It's going to be amazing. You married your sweetheart. It went bad. God, where are you? You wake up at such and such age, and you thought, by this age, I knew I'd be, you fill in the blank, but I'm not. Instead, I'm here, and I'm doing this. I don't understand. God, where are you? And that's where Paul was. This is what I want. This is what is happening. I wanted to preach the gospel in Rome but I'm a prisoner. What kind of day are you going to have? Again, you can't determine what happens to you, but you can determine how you're going to frame it. So let me show you what Paul could have said. Everybody say could have said. What Paul could have said is this. He didn't say it, but he could have. If he would have said it, it would have probably been recorded in the NWV, Philippians 1, 12 and 13 in the NWV. Now, before you go looking on your Bible app for the NWV, the NWV stands for the New Winers Version. Please don't go down to Lifeway and fuss at them because it does not exist. But this is what Paul could have said. Paul could have said this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. That's what he could have said. And as a result of the hell I've been through, I'm quitting my life group, and I'm never going back to church again. And if some of you wrote in the National Winers Version, Philippians 1, 12, and 13, that may have been what you said. Because some of you have said that to us. But that's not what Paul does. It's what he could have said. It's just not what he said. This is what Paul actually said, Philippians 1, 12, and 13. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, watch this, a lot of people say it's bad because I wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but I'm actually in Rome as a prisoner. What happened to me, I can't control what happens to me, but I can't control how it's framed. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It's not how I planned it. It's not how I dreamed it. It's not what I thought would happen, but I can't explain it. Something different is happening than what I dreamed of. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. What everyone else thought was bad. It looks like I'm the prisoner, but I've got strategic Roman soldiers who are influential in leadership locked up to me. 
Now, you ask yourself, who's the prisoner? I get a new one every eight hours. They're chained to me. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. I'm locked up in prison. Everything is bad. I don't understand how I got here. But for some reason, the gospel is being preached, and the people are being encouraged, and I'm getting chained to a different guard every eight hours, and I'm sharing my faith, and they're going out into the public, and they're making a difference. All in how you frame it. Let's look at the next verse, verse 14. Paul says this. He says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. A lot of people say, this is really bad, Paul, but you have no idea. When I look through my God frame, I see that God is still working. God is still moving. My God is still active. My God is still at work. You can't control what happens to you, but you can't control how you frame it. So how do we live this out when our thoughts can often drift toward the negative, the critical, the discouraging, the self-defeating? We all go down those roads. How can we apply this to our life? Well, the first thing is this. When things are really bad, it's a bad day. I don't like what's going on. One of the things that I try to do is I want to thank God for what didn't happen. Well, there's a good old country song that says, you know, thank God for unanswered prayers. Maybe that one will work better for some of you. You know that one better. I thank God for what didn't happen. Maybe something unpleasant did happen, but there are a lot of things that are a lot worse that did not happen. I can thank God for what didn't happen. For example, there's a story of a college girl who told her parents, I need to have a real serious conversation with you. And she drove home from university to sit in her parents' living room, and she said, Mom and Dad, you need to sit down. And she said, i got to be honest with you. I, I went out to a bar I was drunk. I went back with a guy. We did things. Now I'm going to be having twins. The good news is he'll be off probation in a year. Once he's out of rehab, he plans to get a job. Since he's not able to work right now, he's living with me, and we can't get married because he doesn't have a job, but we're going to try to raise these babies together. Mom and Dad's jaws drop. They hit the floor, as yours would as well. And then she said, I want you to know, Mom and Dad, everything I just told you was not true. The truth is, I got a D in chemistry, and I wanted you to know it could have been a lot worse. Sometimes you got to thank God for what didn't happen. Somebody who's about to be a freshman at Liberty University really thinks I'm doing a great job today. So you didn't get the project in on time, and so you're not going to get your bonus. You know what? Thank God you didn't lose your job. You still got your job. You're still employed. You still got a job today. You got in a car wreck. Oh, it's going to be a pain. It's going to cost money. It's going to take a lot of time. Well, thank God nobody got hurt. Thank God you're alive today. Thank God it's not worse. My husband got up, and he didn't even speak to me today. I don't understand what in the world's going on with him. He's such a jerk. Or... My husband got up early. He went to work for our family. He went in extra time, and he allowed me to sleep in, and he didn't wake me up. It's all in how you frame it. Airplane is delayed. The plane is broken. If the plane is broken, I'd rather be on the ground waiting than to be up in the air when they discover that it's broken. Sometimes you just need to thank God for what didn't happen. 
It's all in how you frame it. The next thing that you can try to do, and I'm trying to learn to do this, is you can practice pre-framing. In other words, if your filters, your frame, if they're typically going to be on a negative bent, if they determine how you see the world, why don't you instead begin to learn to choose the frame before you look through the picture, look at the picture. Choose the frame before the event. Instead of getting there and letting the default filter or your default frame, which is often negative, take over and cause you to interpret and otherwise what otherwise might have been a positive as a negative, I want to pre-frame it with the right frame. I'm choosing the frame ahead of time. You know what? That looks really scary over there, so I'm looking for clear skies. I'm not going to always be in lack. Instead, I'm going to look for the goodness of God in the land of the living. I'm going to choose to pre-frame the event. I'll never forget, I was 14 years old. I was playing baseball at the Bowling Green J.C. Little League Park. We were down by a run. My final at bat, we had two men on base, two outs, and I was coming up. If you ever played baseball, especially as a kid, there's a lot of pressure on those kids, and some kids respond great to it, and, well, some don't. I got into the batter's box against this blonde-haired kid from Ladysmith named Chris Allen. Some people probably know him that are here today. He threw me two fastballs, and I fouled both of them off. But now I had two strikes, and I'm in the batter's box, and I'm getting ready for the third pitch. And he winds up, and he throws a pitch that was different than the first two. This one looked like it was coming straight at my head. And so I did what any smart, young, brilliant-minded kid would have done. I protected my brain. I sat on my butt, and I let the ball go by. But as the ball was going by, just in time for me to flop on the ground, I watched it take a bend and curved right into the catcher's mitt for a strike. He had thrown me one of the best curveballs I had ever seen in Little League, and it went from the direction of my head to across the plate to land exactly where he intended it to. I'll never forget. The game was over. Everybody was mad. And this kid by the name of Corey Williams was walking off the field, and he says, figures Rodney choke. I was devastated, as you probably would have been too. And my uncle, who was our coach, Francis, he, he sat down beside me on the bench, and I'll never forget, as I sat and sulked and felt sorry for myself, I was like, it was bad enough to strike out, but then my own teammates called me a choker. And he said, are you a choker? Have you ever noticed how others will rarely give you a positive label? Rarely does anybody look at you and say, man, you are amazing. Most of the time, people, when they give us labels, they're like, you're a jerk. You're rotten. You really are awful. Right? People don't give us nice labels. You're a choker. Have you ever noticed how your enemy never gives you a positive label? What labels do we often take from the outside? You're a failure. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. You can't make a difference. After what you did, you're always going to struggle. Negative, negative, negative. My Uncle Francis said this. He said, well, now you know that Chris Allen can throw a really good curveball. You've experienced it, and you've experienced what it feels like to strike out against it. It can only get better the next time you face him. Do you know what happened the next time I faced Chris Allen? He didn't start with fastballs this time because he remembered the last time he threw that curveball at me, I sat down on the ground. But I remembered the last time he threw the curveball too. And so when he threw it this time, 
Even when the curveball came toward my head, I hesitated and I waited for it to break. And I drove it into the gap over the second baseman's head and I scored a double. Oh, I hit a double. Why? After that point, after all those years, after all those times of feeling bad about failing, uh-uh, I remembered what that ball was going to look like. I remembered the break it was going to have and I drove it to a place where it could go. Why? Because I wasn't a choker. All the years I've played softball since, I want to be the guy who's up to bat when the runners are on base. I want to be the guy who's counted on. When an out needs to be made, I want the ball to come to me. When a hit needs to be gotten, I want to be the one at the plate, which is why I'm so frustrated with my ankle, because I want to be there, because I'm not a choker. I'm not going to choke when the game is on the line. When things get tough, before they even get tough, I got to tell myself I'm great under pressure. Why? My God is with me. My God is for me. If something tough needs to be done, I may not like it at first, but once I get my mind right, only if I frame it properly, I want to be the guy who brings it home when it counts the most. Why? Because I'm learning to pre-frame it. When things get tough, I know that my God is with me. I never play to lose. I always play to win because I've chosen to frame it that way ahead of time. Some of you, you need to pick a new frame. Stop believing the lie from the past. You need to reframe it, pre-frame it. Before you get into the situation, tell yourself, your God is good. Your God is with you. He will help you succeed. Choose the frame ahead of time. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Choose the frame ahead of time. What do we do to reframe a situation? We always thank God for what didn't happen. We choose to frame it ahead of time. And then the third thing we're going to do is we're going to look for God's goodness. Look for God's goodness. I promise you, if you want to see bad, you'll find bad. If you want to see negative, you'll find things to be negative about. If you want to be critical, you can pick any organization, any group, any person, any department to pieces. If that's what you want to be the determining factor of how you live your life, you can be like the vast majority of the world that lives critical, negative, has bad relationships, tends to lean toward what is bad instead of leaning towards what is good. Or on the other hand, you can choose to look for where God is working. And if you look for where God is working, you will see him working. You can choose to look for the good, and guess what? You'll see the good. If you want to look for good in people, you can find good in people. And, fi- and your relationships will begin to change because you'll recognize that not everybody is against you. Instead, there's a whole lot of people that are for you. And you can look for the good in others instead of looking for the bad. Your perspective will change. Your impact will change because you find what you are looking for. It's called positive or it's called cognitive reframing. It's reframing. It's interpreting your circumstances based on the truth of God's word. A good counselor will tell you this. They will tell you that you determine the meaning of what happened to you. You determine the meaning. I'm going to take it a step further today, and I love our counselors, and I believe in in going to see godly counselors, but I'm going to take it a step further today. I'm going to tell you that you need to let Jesus help you determine the meaning of what happened to you. You need to let God come into the middle of your situation and determine the meaning of what happened to you. It's a lot like the difference between two types of birds. Take a vulture and a hummingbird. Got pictures in your mind? You know what I'm looking at here? Big old vulture. They're ugly. They're gross. They're big. Hummingbird, very beautiful, very fast, very quick, darting around. What do vultures find? Dead stuff, carcasses, roadkill. Why? Because that's what they're looking for. What do hummingbirds find? Nectar, sweet things. Why? 
That's what they're looking for. Do you mean to tell me the hummingbird couldn't see the dead thing on the side of the road? You better believe he could, but he's reframing to look for something different. It's still there. The deadness is still there. That hummingbird finds the beautiful thing on the other side of the road, and he leaves this behind. The buzzard has the same possibility. He could find the beautiful nectar, but what does he do? Uh Uh-uh. He goes and he looks for that which is dead. What you look for, you're going to find. Let Jesus help you determine the meaning. So I read this story this week, and it really gave me some perspective. I shared it with my wife. This author, he'd written a book, and it was selling out everywhere, selling out on all the bookshelves, was selling out on Amazon, and a lot of people was commenting about how much the book was helping them. It's a book by Craig Rochelle called Hope in the Dark. And he was getting extremely frustrated because in spite of the success, his publisher could not keep up with the demand, and he wasn't able to get the book into the hands of the people that he felt like it would help so much. So he was angry. He was complaining to his publisher, to his wife, to his church members. Then he heard about a couple that changed his perspective. Rance and Heather, a couple in their 30s, Heather had been sick and dealing with significant physical issues. She had almost died. She spent three months in the hospital. She recovered. She looked like she was on a good track. They had one child named Boston, and I, I asked myself, why would anyone would name a child Boston when the Yankee was so much more available? Uh, but some Red Sox fans are really offended right now. It's okay. Jesus bless you. Things looked up for Heather and Rance. Rance went outside. She came back in. Heather was not conscious. And at the age of 38, she never recovered. She passed away. That's a really bad day, right? It's really bad. Really bad. So between their death and the funeral, Ranch realized that Heather really liked to shop. And evidently, a couple of weeks before she passed, she had made a purchase on Amazon.com that was not available at the time she purchased it. It had been back-ordered. And so she dies. And between her death and her funeral, her last purchase was delivered in the mail. And between her death and her funeral, her husband goes to the mailbox and he receives this last purchase. This last purchase was a book that came at the exact right moment called Hope in the Dark, believing that God is good when life is not. And Rance, who just lost his 38-year-old wife, said, I can't really see how, I I can really see how much God is still with me because he cared that much to delay the promotion of a book to show up at my door at a time when I needed it most because had it showed up when she got it, I would have never read it. See, the author, angry, frustrated, mad, can't stand it, angry at everybody because the books aren't getting out the door. There's a guy who just lost his wife who got the book at the right time, at the right moment, because God is perfect, and God always shows up when we need him most. God will move heaven and earth to bring you the hope that you need at the right moment. Oh, it was awful. It's terrible. Nobody's getting what they need, but I'm providing what they need at the time they need it most. See, we got to learn to reframe how we think about these things. What kind of day is it? It's the worst day ever. Or as the husband said, I realize now that every person my wife touched was blessed. In her 38 years, she made an impact on the world, and I'm so thankful for what she was accomplishing in her life. Oh, it's awful. No, 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 no. God is good, and I'm going to make it through this because I see the hope that God provides. 
It's all in how you frame it. Here's the problem. So many people see the bad because they're looking for the bad. If you look for God, you will find him. Where do we make mistakes in our minds? It's often that we try to interpretate God through our circumstances. This is bad, therefore God is bad. There's another way to look at the world, and that is to interpret your circumstances through the goodness of God. I'm going to say that again because I don't want to get you to miss that. There's a different way of looking at things. Many times when we look for the bad, we see the bad, and therefore we interpret God's goodness or worth through how we look at life. We interpret God through our circumstances. I don't understand. It's always cloudy. It's always struggling. I'm always having a bad day. Or we can learn to look at our, at, at, at our circumstances through God. Yep. You know what? It rained this morning. But look at the beautiful sun that is coming out now because God is good, and he did not leave me in the storm. He brought me through the storm. I'm going to trust God through my circumstances. I'm going to see God through the stuff that's happening in my life. You know what? I'm having a rough day, and things are tough. But you know what? I serve a God who will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You can't control what happens to you. Even in the dark times, even when we're waiting, we can still praise him. Because no matter what our circumstances are like, our God is always good. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. If our musicians, praise team, prayer team, if you'd come. Father, today I ask you to help us renew our minds with truth. I wonder how many of you would say like me, And let me just tell you right now, I've said it the last two weeks, I'm preaching this as much because I need to live it better because I need it as much as I'm asking you to live it because I'm asking God to give me a better frame. Those of you who say, yes, God, help me to have a better frame. Help change my filter with truth. Would you lift your hands and just say, you know what, I need that, God. I need to change how I look at things. All over the auditorium, man. God, I pray. That according to your word, we would not have to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds. As they get ready to play and sing, if you'd all stand with me today. Father, I thank you that the weapons we fight with are not of this world, but they have divine power to demolish strongholds, to tear down wrong patterns of thinking. Help us today, God, to restructure our thoughts, not just to choose the meaning that we want, but to choose the meaning that you give us. Help you, God, to come into our life and define the meaning for us of the things that are happening in us. God, empower us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. As we remain in a spirit of prayer, I want you to consider just for a moment, your outlook. As we've gone through this series, my goal really has been to bring us to this point where we consider the frame that we view life through. Our perspective so many times determines our viewpoint. If you are determined to find the good, you will. If you're determined to see everything gloomy, dark, depressing, bad, you will. Good or bad, you will. God became flesh, the person of Christ, and he is sinless and perfect in every way. Jesus reaches out to the lowest of the low, the most broken, the most hurting, the most sinful. 
He loves them where they are. He heals sickness and disease. He teaches a truth that is eternal in nature that resonates deeply with the hearts of mankind. Then he's betrayed by his own. He's crushed and he's cursed and he dies the most brutal death. Do you see the good? Or do you see the bad? Jesus died. He was sinless and they crucified him. What an awful thing to happen. Why would they pick on him? Why would they do those things? Jesus died that I might have life and have it more abundantly. Good or bad, it's all in how you frame it. If you look at it through the resurrection, the fact that Jesus died at Calvary is the greatest event in the history of the world. A God who loved you so much that he became one of us. He died. He rose again. Why? So that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord could discover a relationship with a God who knows what it's like to suffer, to have dark days, and yet brings us to a place where Paul could say, if any man is in him, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. If you need to experience Jesus in a real and tangible way today, there is this amazing step in your relationship with God that you can make today. The Bible calls it repentance. It simply means a turning, a reframe, if you will, a new perspective, a turning from one direction to another, a reframing of what I'm looking at. It's a decision to make Christ the Lord of your life, to confess to him that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that you're sorry for the life that you've lived up till now, and you're deciding to turn it around. You're going to look at life through a different frame. And on your own, you can't, but with his help, you can. And in your mind, you need to switch the frame. You can change your perspective to begin a life anew, afresh. You can begin a journey toward Christ instead of away from him. If you need that in your life today, I'd like to invite you to come. Join us in this altar. We have a prayer team, members that will pray with you, help you make that next step in Christ for you today. But like we did last week, they're getting ready to sing. And this was such an important thing that we did last week for me. I want us to do it again today. And the reason I want us to do it, I don't know if he's in here. He's probably upstairs. Amy McIntyre went home and began to share what we talked about last Sunday with her son, Colson. This morning, Colson came running down the hall to me. He had a stack of papers that he'd been writing on all this week about all the things that Jesus says about him. All the things that he believes about himself because God says them about him. What's he doing? He's reframing. You see, it would be easy to go through life and think, you know what? All the guys at school, sometimes they don't, they don't sit with me and they don't like me all the time. And sometimes I, I just feel bad or lonely and I'm by myself. God is with me. God is for me. Even when I'm alone, he is there. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. I am handsome. I am perfectly and wonderfully made. I am God's child. I'm telling you, it's all in how you frame it. And he wrote those things, and I mean, page after page of the promises of God on his life. And you know what? It did something to me this morning. It inspired me. Why? Because I want you to know today, no matter what you are, no matter what the situation looks like, no matter how you're going through it right now, you can choose to change the frame. You can choose to look at life a different way. You can choose to look at it through God's word. And so we did this last Sunday, and I'm going to ask you to do it again. I know it may feel uncomfortable. 
But make it easy for somebody else to come to this altar today. I want everybody that can to get into this altar. Come as close as you can. Because before we leave today, we're going to make some declarations about who we are in God. And I want you to know you are not who others say you are. You are who he says you are. Come on, gather in and let's worship the Lord with them as they sing. And then we're going to make some declarations. Who am I that the highest would drives you to seek the light. If being in the dark forces you to look for God in the darkness, guess what? Maybe the darkness wasn't so bad at this moment because it forced me to look for Christ. Maybe you feel so low. It's bad. Maybe it's not so bad if the only place you have to look when you're that low is up at God and see him for who he really is and what he can do. It's not so bad. Maybe this moment of suffering, if you reframe it, years later will be the moment that brought you to Jesus. It's all in how you look at it. The reality of this life is this. We are going to face storms, right? The reality is we're going to face storms, but we serve a God who can step onto the bow of our ship and say, peace be still in the worst of our storms. And as long as I got my eyes on him, I'm going to make it through. In those moments, if I learn the power of a new filter, a reframe, if I turn to God's word, it will approach him in prayer. If I will go to him, I can find a new light in my life that oversupersedes all the darkness. His truth will create a new neural pathway, a new way of thinking, things that tell me how I'm supposed to live. And so as we end this series, I want to remind you one more time of some truths about that you need to apply to your life today, some truths that God believes about you. If you're going to win this battle of the mind, if you're going to win with the thoughts that are going in the right direction, if you're going to demolish the lies of the enemy with truth, 
You need to know who you are, not you need to know whose you are today. You don't just need to know who you are, but you need to know whose you are. You need to recognize that you were bought with a price, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are his handiwork. He dreamed up plans for you before you were ever born, and he knows the plans that he's going to bring about in your life, plans to prosper you, plans to give you purpose, plans to give you hope when things seem hopeless. You are strong and you're mighty in Christ. You have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living within you. You are a weapon of righteousness in a dark world. You are not your past. You are who God says you are. You are not what you did. You are who God says you are. He says you are forgiven. He says you are redeemed. He says you are free. You are not a hostage to your unhealthy thoughts. The weapons that you fight with are not the weapons of this world. They have power to demolish strongholds. You have the mind of Christ directing your thoughts. You have the word of God guiding your steps. Worry is not your master. You trust in God. His peace guards your heart, guards your mind, and guards your soul in Christ Jesus. You have not been given a spirit of fear. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Lord is your helper. You will not be afraid. You are not a slave to your habits. You are not a prisoner to an addiction. You have been rescued from the power of darkness, and you have brought into the kingdom of God for such a time as this. You are empowered. You are called. You are chosen. You are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you. Your God will bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you can bring him glory. Your God is for you. Your God is with you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Nothing, church, nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Not angels, not demons, not the present, not the past, not the weapons that would, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Never doubt today. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. The battle may rage, but with Christ you are victorious today. The battle may rage, but you are victorious. You are his child. I am. Come on.
Declare it in Jesus' name. Come on, I am who he says I am. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you so much, God, for your grace. Hallelujah. 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 Whatsoever things are good, pure, right, you know the passage. Think on these things. Amen. What a difference it makes to think the Word of God and to think with the mind of Christ. Amen. Father, I just want to say thank you again for this day. Remind us each and every day, each and every week, to take every thought captive, to put everything under your feet, to cover every thought with your blood. Help us, Lord, to remember our identity in you. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. And God, help us to put our trust and confidence in you. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Why don't you hug your neighbor next to you. Tell him it's good to see him in the house of the Lord. Tell him to think right this week. Think right this week. Amen. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.
whisper.